We heard from St. Paul's letter to the Christians in Colossae. He knew Jesus had risen from the dead, and so did they. And because that was true, he told them how they could live. We encounter the risen Jesus as the disciples did at the side of the lake, as you heard in today's gospel. Let's, let's focus there for a few moments. You may be seated as we do. As you heard, uh, St. John said that was the third time the disciples encountered the risen Lord Jesus. For you and for me, this is the fifth time we've looked at those occasions when Jesus showed himself to be alive after he was crucified. We've been talking about encountering the risen Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus did and what he still does. First, on the beach with those disciples as he orchestrated that great miracle, the catching of 153 sheep. Uh, how, about, how about fish? 153 fish. Why they got numbered, why John passed it on, I'm not sure. But it's good to take a look at these experiences because, number one, they prove that Jesus was really alive. You realize that if Jesus only appeared once to one person, or maybe even two to two or three, people then would wonder, and people today would certainly wonder, was he really alive? Or did somebody just imagine this? But number of times he appeared, that's why we're looking at so many. And it's good to look for that reason, but also because during these days after his resurrection, and before he goes home to heaven, he gives counsel. He talks about his final wishes and he gives directions to those who love him, those who follow him, those who hold to him in faith. Speaking of whom and focusing upon whom, it's Peter. Peter along with all those other disciples. We understand that all those disciples and Peter among them were not perfect people. They were flawed. They, they were everyday folks like you and me, who had their weaknesses, who had their problems, who were sin-filled people. You know, it reminds me when I started being pastor years ago in southwestern Ontario, Canada. I'd been there a short while in a small town of 850 people, five churches, two of them Lutheran, but, well, that's another story. But one of the new pastors in town, even newer than I, came to visit, introduced himself and such, he extended his hand, we shook hands and exchanged greetings. And then he said, you know, Carl, I, I don't sin anymore. <laughs> well, I picked my jaw off the floor and I, I wondered where that came from. I guess it was part of his introduction to me. And I, I said, okay, now, now what do I say? What do I do with this? And I said, well, I'm not, I, I, I'm a sinner. And well, you know, St. Paul, St. Paul wrote, he said, uh, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. And he said, oh, oh, but Paul wasn't perfected yet. He hadn't come to the point where he didn't sin anymore. Well, that's not me. And that's not us as we believe the Christian faith. We're weak. We stumble. We fall. We disobey. So did Peter. Peter, the focal point of this narrative. 
Peter was one of those guys, sometimes we call it Simon Barjona, the shuffle. Simon Barjona, shuffle. He had it right and then not so right. He did well and then he didn't. Two steps forward, one step back. Whether it was in his confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then going on to say to Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem, Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan, because Peter had gotten it right but then wrong. Just like when Jesus invited him to walk on the water on the stormy sea, and he did while he focused on Jesus, but when he took his eyes off, down he began to go. The transfiguration, when Jesus showed himself on the mountain to three disciples, Peter included to be God himself. Peter said, well, let's stay here. I I love this. Let me make three tents for us. And Jesus said, no, I've got to go. We've got to go to Jerusalem to fulfill my mission. And then the night that Jesus was betrayed, before he died, Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet, a task for the slaves of those days. Peter said, no, 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 you don't wash my feet. I need to wash yours. But Jesus went on to correct his error then, even as later he invited him to go with him to the Garden of Eden with two other, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, to pray along with two other disciples. And Peter, like the others, fell asleep and didn't pray with Jesus. Yet, with all of that, Jesus focused on Peter and he began to work and recognize him on the beach. Jesus recognized him, but Peter recognized Jesus, even the first to do so. And then Jesus began that task of restoring and commissioning this man called Peter. But he did so with some pain for Peter. Three times Jesus asked, Simon, do you love me? then feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Then take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Three times. That pained Peter. You know why? Because it was three times as Jesus was being handed over to his enemies that Peter said, I don't know him. When asked once, twice, three times, he denied Jesus his savior. Obviously, Peter wasn't perfect, but he was the perfect choice for what Jesus was about to do with him. He was the perfect choice because Jesus chose him. Jesus chose him to do something very important. Reminds me, I mentioned St. Michael's looking for its next senior pastor. I'm here, but gone tomorrow or the next day or whenever, not too long ago. And you know, don't look, folks, for a perfect pastor. There isn't one. I'm not it. Pastor Sean's not it. None of us are it. We're humans. We're people. It would take a lot of luck, but not even that. It's impossible to find a perfect person pastor. Our call committee who functions on behalf of our congregation in the search for such a man, they know that. They understand that. And while they process, they do so humbly 
And you know, that's a great task to begin to understand whom Jesus has chosen, because he has, who the next pastor here will be. But that sounds presumptuous, but listen, you know what St. Paul wrote in another of his letter to the Christians in Corinth? He wrote this, you have, we have the mind of Christ. Think about that. We have the mind of Christ, we who follow and believe in him. It's not just a matter of heart, it's also a matter of our heads. Jesus controls both. Jesus lives within all of us. And we listen, we follow. He uses what we think and makes it his own so that our thoughts are his as we bathe this whole process over and over again in prayer. This is one of the things that congregation members here pointed out again and again as we talked about what kind of pastor should be here. Jesus' charge to Peter was exactly in this context. Peter, a sinner, an imperfect person. But Peter became the leader of the pack. He was the focal point of the unfolding of the Christian church when Jesus' mission was complete and he returned home. Peter learned a lot on the beach that day, and so do we. Now, this is a good time to tie in confirmation, I think. This is a focal point for today, among others. A lot of times, you young people and others think about confirmation, that's the goal line, that's the finish line, and then we're done. It's kind of like graduation. You have gowns on, you have boutonnieres, flowers on your shoulder, take a sigh of relief and you say, that's it. You know, if you've been confirmed, folks, beyond these folks, you know a little bit differently. You know it's only one step along the way. Can you imagine if spiritually we tried once a week to maintain or even grow our faith? Think about eating. How often do you eat? Once a day? Once a week? Once every now and then? I don't think so. Two, three, four, or more times a day, every day of our entire lives, because our bodies depend on it. Everything depends on food for our living. And spiritually, too. That's why Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. They need the food. Where are the sheep? Feed my sheep. Jesus doesn't choose pastors only. He chooses each and every one of you in the confirmation class and those of us here and all Christians everywhere. He chooses you and me. And why? Whatever reason, he chooses us. And that makes us the right choice. People have said to me over the years, as they talk about leading and feeding in the church, they said, you know, Pastor, I'm not good enough to do this job. I really am weak, I'm broken, I, I just have too much of loose ends in my life. And I'm happy to be able to tell them that's okay. God uses people like you and like me for his will. And the question is, why does Jesus use imperfect people? Well, number one, there's nobody else to use. That's why Every one of us is imperfect. And imperfect people can reach imperfect people. If you think you're perfect, 
well, maybe if you really are a less impossible, it's difficult to connect, to connect with people who aren't perfect. And that keeps us connected, imperfect people, to imperfect people. And it keeps us connected to God, who forgives our sins, renews us, and gives us another chance every day, to be sure. And Jesus uses imperfect people to make us and keep us humble. And you know what humility is? It's to know the truth about who we are. Imperfect people, but imperfect people whom Jesus loves, forgives, and entrusts his mission to. That is humility. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Jesus repeats it to us, too, three times. Reminds me of the preacher who said, first I tell him what I'm going to tell him. Then I tell him. <laughs> then I tell him what I told him. That's the three parts of my sermon. And I suppose a lot of us do that. But all of this is repetition for our good. And it comes out of love. Do you love me? Then do this. Do you love me? Jesus not only entrusted to a few, but to all of us who would follow him. Beginning with these folks in the front pew, or including, however we want to look at it, but all of us to be sure. All this is to facilitate the big mission of Jesus handed over to us to make disciples, to make followers not of us, but of him. That's at the very core of who we are, pointing Jesus to people, pointing people to Jesus and helping them grow in his love, whether it's personally or as a congregation. It's not just a matter of staying alive and hanging on to our new life, hoping and praying we're going to make it to be with for forever. Yeah, we, we reach and we feed. We are fed, to be sure. But it's not just reaching in. It's reaching out that we're called to do, to make disciples of others. Lead them and feed them. You realize what happened when those disciples in the boat listened to Jesus. They'd fished all night, all night, nothing. Jesus said, let down your nets on the right-hand side. Jesus, not a fisherman, there was a great catch. 153 fish, something like they had never seen before. A great catch. Think about this. We Christians are called to let down our nets on the right side. The right side, but the right side. Listening to Jesus where he leads, as he leads and as he feeds. It's a matter of love. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of obedience. You know, the disciples would have appeared to have been back to life as usual. After the resurrection, not understanding fully, back to being fishermen. That's where Jesus met them. But that's where he, was ch they, he changed them as they encountered him on the shore. Easter, it happened. We've celebrated it, to be sure. We have encountered the living Jesus. Now we can say, it is the Lord. And we can follow. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.